Today on Changing Lives, Selling Knives, it's an interview with Roman Malik, starting with Wherever Cookware in 1952 and joining Petco when the two organizations later merged, Roman has become one of the all-time greatest legends in the Cutco business. He once went about three and a half years selling $1,000 or more every week when prices were just a fraction of what they are today. He helped build the Northern California sales organization into a perennial national championship team. He's been married for 67 years and has raised three successful children and he's built a financial empire, including 13 properties throughout California, Hawaii, and Northern Nevada. Personally, I count Roman and his wife, Norma, among a very short list of the finest role models and mentors that I've ever known. I'm grateful to be able to share Roman's stories and lessons with you here today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories, and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. I am honored to have a true Cutco legend with me here today, Mr. Roman Malik. Uh, Roman started in the wherever business in 1952. You heard that right. It has been 70 years and the wherever business merged with the Cutco business along the way. Roman became one of the top salespeople in Cutco history. He became a manager that helped build our Northern California sales organization for many years. And when I started, Roman was already an incredible legend in the vector business. And I consider him to be a direct and personal and very significant mentor of mine. Really excited to be able to capture his life and career in this form here today. He's just an all-around amazing human being. Roman Malik, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be great. I'm really excited about this. I know a lot about your life and career after 1952, because we've talked about it. I've heard a lot of your stories, a lot of your messages but I don't know much about you before 1952, Roman, and I'd love for our audience to get to know a little bit about just the early days of Roman Malik. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I was born in Yonkers, New York, September 4th, 1930, at St. Joseph Hospital. And I was rummaging through some of my mother's belongings recently, and I noticed a a receipt for when I was born and at them days, when a woman had a baby, she stayed there at least for seven days. 
and the total bill for delivering the baby in seven days was fifty dollars. <laughs> and uh, fifty dollars, fifty dollars in uh, November of nineteen thirty-five. My dad was a foreman for Spreckler Sugar Company, and during the uh, winter months. Uh, the foreman and the superintendent would do all the maintenance work. And so it was a windy November day. My mother went to see my dad at the work site. And here's my dad up there about 10, 12 stories on a scaffold. Windy New York days, you know, going back and forth. So she said, when you come down tonight, you're not ever going back up again. <laughs> so... <laughs> To make a long story short, my grandmother was living in Turlock, California, and we decided to go on a vacation. And they had a two-story flat, and they left all the furniture and everything there, and, and they came out west. Well, my across the country, coming through all the country, we could notice all these old shanty houses, and they uh, had these great big wash tubs on the side of the building, and the people used to take baths in them days. They didn't have no bathtubs, a lot of the old time. So my dad was telling my mother, your mother's going to have a house like that. And my mother said, oh, no, 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 my mother's going to have a first-class house. <laughs> so <laughs> on the way uh, they, there, uh, we finally, after five days and five nights, we arrived in Turtle, California, and my dad told a taxi guy to take him out to the ranch where they lived. And so... We drove up there. I mean, before we got there, my dad told the guy to go to the ice cream shop. I want to get some ice cream. So my dad bought these great big, I think they're about two, three gallons ice cream, one chocolate and one vanilla, and took them there. And we drive up to the driveway of the taxi, and there's my grandmother sitting there plucking blackbirds for supper. She didn't have one wash tub. She had two wash tubs <laughs> there. So we ate ice cream till we didn't know what the hell to do. They didn't have refrigerators them days until it all melted away. And uh, we decided to stay. And at them days, it was a depression. People were losing their homes left and right. I mean, there was no money. People were broke. Gasoline was about 12 cents a gallon. And so my dad decided to buy this farm. It was a prime piece of territory. You could buy land at that time, 100 acres for $5,000. And this piece of property was a fine piece of property, $5,000 for 20 acres. It was a vineyard with a nice new house on it. And I can remember, I was only five years old. We went to the bank. People are broke. People losing their homes. And my dad's going to pay cash, $5,000. And I can remember to this day, I was five years old at that time. The bank manager got all the people together. There's about five of them in that bank. And he says, I want your attention. He says, Look, at this fellow here is Norman Malik. He just moved here from Yonkers, New York, and he's going to pay cash, $5,000. And everyone started clapping in that bank. I mean, they were really excited. And that's how we got started. And I grew up and went to Turlock High School. Turlock, for those of you listening, is a small town outside of Modesto in the California Central Valley, about two hours from San Francisco and Sacramento. And wow, you took five days and five nights, Roman, to drive across the country. I appreciate how your dad was able to pay cash for your family property. Uh, I see where some of your sound financial principles must have come from. Pick up for us after high school now and how you got started with wherever. Then the Korean War started. I had just finished one year of college and I was working part-time in San Francisco 
as a carpenter. And so I joined the Navy the day before I got drafted. And after about a year or so, I got engaged. Well, her ring payments were $50 a month, and I was only making $102 a month. <laughs> and that didn't leave me much money for going out. or It's just enough to pay her ring payments and buy some shaving supplies. Yeah. So uh, I decided with my best friend, Tom Flannery, to go look for a part-time job. Well, everywhere we went, they said, can you make it Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday? I said, no, why not? Because... I'm in the Navy. Well, that ended the interview right there. They didn't want no Navy people. They wanted someone dependable could be there. So my friend read this ad in the paper. It says, Advertising Department, T-A-C-U Company. T-A-C-U. T-A-C. Well, we didn't even know what the hell it stood for. That stood for the American Cooking Utensil Company. So we go to this interview on University Avenue, downtown San Diego, and there was a huge office. There was... Uh, on the second floor, and they had um, chairs on either side of the building, and the aisle, and then the chairs in between, and there must have been about 75, 80 people there. And so we got there late and uh, nudged one of the guys, said, what's going on? He said, oh, that guy's, he's baking a cake with a candle flame on top of the, you know, top of the stand, and he had a little stand there, and had a little candle, and when, when the candle would burn down, he would screw it up again. And uh, he said, what's in that pan? He said, well, he's uh, cooking apples without water. So I told my friend, let's get the hell out of here. This guy's crazy. (laughs) And Tom Flannery, he was a comedian. He looked like Earl Flynn. He said, no, 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 no. Let's stick around and watch the food burn. We'll laugh our head off. (laughs) Well, to our amazement, he took the cake out of the pan. There was a golden brown, no burnt spot where the candle was. And the apples were just juicy. And he ran them through. So he says, uh, you know, years ago, I used to recruit people, the best-looking guy and the nice-looking hairdo and the best dress and everything else. He says, but, you know, half the time I was wrong. I didn't know what they had in their heart. So the way I hire people now, notice there's six chairs on this side of the aisle, six on this side of the room. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give it to the 10 fastest people in the room. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to start counting. He said, one, two, three. So at the town of 10, boy, I'm telling you, chairs were flying through the air, and everyone was scrambling to get to those 10 chairs. Well, needless to say, hired everyone here. <laughs> so, so that's that is great. Yeah, um, that's I'm great. Telling you, the first manager was Claire Allison, and he was as honest and straight and knowledgeable as hell. Well, he uh, uh, assigned us to, you know, a trainer. Yeah. And my trainer, I mean, he should have went to Hollywood because he was a good-looking, well-dressed guy, but the worst trainer in the world. <laughs> so, so he signed me to a trainer. He said, come back Tuesday, and then you're going to go out with this guy, Bruce Farley. So we go out. At that time, we didn't use referrals. It was all knocking on doors and all cold turkey. So I went to uh, start knocking on doors, and I got my 10 cards filled out. So you went to get leads, basically. I went to get through. leads. Get got leads. It. And, and it was very simple. Have you received your uh, advertising gift? We never said free gift because people are leery when you say something free. But when you say advertising, you're explaining what you're doing. You're, it's an advertising gift just for taking a peek at it. Yeah. You don't have to buy anything, which was telling the truth. Yeah. 
So I got uh, 10 cards and I went back and I said, I want 10 more, you know, and so I got I got 10 more. So you give people the like the little cooking guide. We um, used to give them a pie pan. Oh, you used to give them an actual pie pan. Actual 10 inch pie pan, which sold in the stores later on for about six, seven dollars. They were uh, 10 and a half inches, inch and a half thick. Okay. Beautiful pipe pen. And they would fill out their name and address yeah. that they, it, they were yeah, yeah, willing we, to see you for a demonstration. Right. We'd just say, uh, uh, we're not a demonstration, just taking a peek. You know, they, they didn't like demonstration. Just taking either. a peek. Just taking a peek. Uh, have you received your advertising gift from uh, wherever? And you just take a step backward because if you go forward, they retreat. You retreat, you know, and they, and they say no. And they, and so you haven't. Well, you, let me see if you qualify. Have you been married eight years or less? And they said, oh, yeah, sure. We've only been married five years. Well, great. Put down the best time to drop your gift off. And that was the target market back then. It was actually younger. Young married couple. Then. And it was a house behind the house because San Diego had hundreds of those. I mean, everyone had a little, like now they're building these little houses, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing in them days. There was a little house behind the house. You didn't knock on the main house because there were the older people that owned the homes. So it was a house behind the house. Oh, that's interesting. Because nowadays, you know, we target more people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Well, um, back then, though, it was a it was a younger married couple you were looking and for. And I'll tell you later, then we switched 100%. We went around to single working girls. Forget the young married couples. Yeah. Because they got everything for showers and weddings and stuff like that. Oh, so whoa. So we uh, just jot down the best time to receive your advertising gift, and I'll see that you get it in a week or two. And if it was a real good hot, then we qualify them. Very, very important to qualify them and say, uh, oh, by the way, we're making a survey for our company at the same time. Do you have a match set or odds and ends like most young couples? You always said, do you have a match set first and then odds and ends like most? Because if you said you have odds and ends or a match set, they're going to say match set. So huh. we always said, do you have a match set or odds and ends like most young couple? And they say odds and ends. So then we would put a Plus, that's a good one. That's yeah. A, that's a good one. And if they say, "Well, we got uh, fiberware, we got Revereware. Revereware was really hot them days. Revereware that would be a C. So we tried to call on A cards. We didn't want to call on Bs and Cs. We would call it A. Right. So I got my names all filled out and so forth. And then you got your. That's how you got your and first then I, leads. They gave me my sample. Yeah. And it looked like an elephant herd had gone through it because it was really beat up. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. So this was a sample that somebody else had used oh, before. Oh, yeah, passed down for, you know, a generation. <laughs> you know, the kit was huge. It was like a Samsonite. I mean, it was about 24 inches across or maybe even 30. And it was huge. Like a big suitcase. Oh, then I'm on my happy way, right? So I go to my first house and I miss it. I go to my second house. And my friend, now he started and he sold his first set. First person, first sale. So that gave me a little encouragement, you know. That was the last set he sale he ever made after that. <laughs> and we got to be friends later on for many, many years. But I missed 13 in a row. And I was so discouraged. And I told him, I told myself, my dad was right. Because I hadn't, when I got my samples, I hadn't come hitchhiked all the way to Turlock, California from San Diego. It's about 550 miles to pick up my 38 Chevy. And my dad told me, what are you going to be doing? I said, I'm working for Alcoa. Well, really? You're going to be selling siding or something like that? I said, no, no, I'm going to sell pots and pens. He said, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> he says, what are you, what are you here for then? 
I said, well, I came to pick up my 38 Chevy. He said, that thing has never gone more than 25 miles in one direction. You'll never make it. And then when I got vapor locked on a grapevine, I knew my dad was right. <laughs> <laughs> and after my, I missed my 13 sale, you know, I knew he was right. And so 13 uh, in a row, 13 right out of the row, gate, right no sales. The, two weeks working part-time on a, sh on a ship. And so uh, if you didn't sell $1,000 then uh, in, in one month, they take your samples away from you. Right. You had to sell $1,000. So I had been there two weeks, and I, had, I said, no one's going to fire me. I've never been fired from a job. I'm going to quit before they fire me. <laughs> and so on the way back to the office, it's, you know, turn in my samples. They say the line between success and failure is so thin that you never recognize it. Mm -hmm. So faith is funny. I was going on the way to the office. I noticed this light was on. It was about 9 o'clock at night. And I pulled out my card, and it says, Mr. Johnson. So every time I'd gone to Mr. Johnson's house, he was never home. This time he was home and he came to the door and he says, what can I do for a young man? I said, I'm here to uh, give you a little advertising gift and let you take a peek at our product. And he turned around and said to his wife, what's this guy trying to tell us? She says, he's trying to sell us pots and pans. He says, is that what you're trying to do? I says, well, to be honest with you, I want to show them to you. If you want to buy, it's up to you, you know. So somehow or another, I talked myself into going in there. At them days, you you either baked a cake or you cooked the potato without water. And the idea of the potato was the, it won't burn. And all the minerals, you know, the best part of the potato is below the peeling, not the peeling itself. If you're going to plant a potato, you plant the eye, the best part of it. Apple is right in the center, in the core. And it shows when you cook a potato without water, the yellow comes out of it like butter comes out of it. Mm -hmm. And you don't need salt because it has salt in it. It has all the minerals and chemicals that are in there. So I said, if you give me a potato, I'll show you how these pans work. Well, to my surprise, that's the first time I ever cooked. <laughs> <laughs> so the potato came out perfect. I mean, it was perfect. I cut it in half and they let them taste it and taste it good without butter, without salt. I said, see all the money you'll save? You don't have to use butter. You don't have to use salt. Look at the heat. We use a pilot light to cook it. You don't need a flame. You don't have to boil water. You don't have to, you know. So I convinced him. He was a training foreman for Pacific Telephone Company. He'd been, he had six kids. So I said, look all the money you're going to save. So he bought it. And the deposit used to be 20%, which was the down payment was our upfront money. We got that. That was our commission. Now, later on, you know, as you advance, you got higher commission. The company would mail it to you when it's part when it got shipped, part when it got paid off. Right. And if you go at delinquent, they'd cut you off. You couldn't sell installment. You had to sell cash. So it gave me 13 bucks. I says, wow. So I got in my 38 Chevy. And now I'm really excited. I said to him, I, I go about a block or two and I stop. I said, I wonder if that's really true. You know, I was my dreaming. <laughs> so I take my wallet out and there's $13 in there. So he bought a $65, $65 so set of, yeah, yeah. of stuff? Yeah, yeah. The set was about $99, the whole set. $99. So I What's said, the same thing nowadays, like $2,000, Oh, 3, Jesus, that's over $2,500. <laughs> Can you believe it? One pot. Is five hundred and fifty bucks I one know. pot. I know. Can you yeah. believe it? Yeah. So, uh, 
I said, hell, if I can sell one set, I can sell another. Mm -hmm. So I sold the next 15 in a row. Awesome. And I used to drive my 38 Chevy maybe once every month to San Francisco, back and forth. And the manager, he was something else. He used to say, this guy is a super salesman. He goes to San Francisco every week because he's kind of exaggerating a little bit, you know. Uh, and he still sells seven, eight hundred dollars. I never sold a thousand dollars in San Diego. I sold nine ninety seven, nine ninety eight. Never thousand. We never fudged. These are for weeks. N in a week, yeah. yeah. Never sold a never had a thousand dollar week because that guy was so honest. I mean, you couldn't go buy two dollar worth or something like that. You, what you sold is what you reported. Right, right. So that that, that was it. And uh, you know, like the old saying goes, uh, got to be pleasantly persistent and. Like the guy that was with a great big boulder. He had a big sledgehammer, and he's going to split this thing in half. Well, he hit it one time, two time, three time, 999. On 1,100 time, the thing cracked in half. Now, was it the 1,100 time, or was it the first time? Was it everything in between? So the thing of it is, you got to be persistent. you got to keep on and on and on. And when people tell me no, I just reverse it. Reversing of no is on. Got to be on. When I started in San Diego, they used to say, don't be afraid of those no solicitors sign, no salesman, because you're not solicitor. You're giving them advertising gifts. <laughs> right? <laughs> and if they're stupid enough to buy a sign, they'll sure enough buy your product. <laughs> right? So I said, yep. So I used to go to the head of the class, which was the manager of the buildings. Building. So I went to this one building in Chula Vista. There was four, a row of four buildings, and they were all two-story high. And this guy's in a wheelchair sitting in his office in the front of the building. So I go introduce myself, and I tell him I'm, in, my, I'm engaged. My ring payments are $50 a month. I only make 100 and so forth and so forth. I'm in the Navy. I'm working part-time, and maybe you can help me out. He said, what can I do for you? I said, well, I noticed you got signs all over the place, no solicit, no solicit, but I want to give advertising gift and so on product. So I said, can I tell you my story? I said, sure. He says, I came here from England when I was 16 or 17 years old. I had nobody in this country. It was just me. He said, I worked hard, I worked hard, and I saved, and I bought my first piece of property. Then I became in real estate. He said, see all these buildings here? I'm not the manager, I'm the owner. I own every one of these buildings free and clear. He said, not only that, my wife is a professor at San Diego State, and we've only been married 10 years. She has no kids. I have no kids. I'm not only owning a building. He said, I own this insurance business policies. I insure sailors that can't get insurance. They wouldn't insure me. I got all these hundreds and hundreds of policies that I need renewed, but I'm in a wheelchair and I can't get around. So he says, I'll not only let you work this building, but I'll give you the names of the, of the people you want. So I had free ring. And then we got to be friends. And he said, I want to make an offer with you. He said, when you get out of the Navy, I said, I want you to bring your wife here, put her in the office. And at that time, they were making $200 a month, 1952, 53. He says, I'll pay her $400 a month. I'll get your license for you free. And every one of these policies you renew, I'll give you the premium on them. And I'll make you 50% owner of the insurance company. So I told my boss about it. He said, Jesus, if you don't take that job, give it to me. You know? 
So, but I got sipped overseas. I never seen that guy. But he gave me all <laughs> the leads. He gave me all the leads, and I used to go down there and and whenever a new person move in, he'd say, "Hey, Roman, there's a new person moved in this building." But after that, That's I cool. worked for about a year. And you know, them days, if you his goal was inspire us to buy a Cadillac. Anyone that was successful drove a Cadillac. Newton Boudreau, which was one of the greatest salesman in the history of the company, later on worked under me as a, a district manager. He now had one Cadillac. He had one for his wife. Mm-hmm. So he was very, very successful. I remember one meeting. We had uh, joint meetings, district managers, once every month. And uh, he said that anyone that breaks his personal record could break a, a record. And they had these vinyl, you know, these great big records, 78s, I guess. Yeah. And uh, they'd come up there. He's in the front of the room. They'd come up to him with a record, and they'd read the label. And when I was, I'm breaking my heart over you, and he'd crack it over his head. <laughs> and that, after about six, seven of them, he had blood coming down his forehead. <laughs> yeah. Really ha- and he, he enjoyed it because every time they broke a record, there he was a district manager making money for him. So th- those were the good old days. And then I got transferred to Guam. And I was still selling there, but not getting paid for it, you know, because uh, I couldn't deliver it. And I found out later they would have The Navy it. transferred you to Guam? Yeah, the Navy transferred me to Guam with one year left. So I had one year left there. And then after that, I came back to San, San Francisco. And I started again. I came to San Francisco. There was a district manager, and he was a Stanford graduate with a master's degree, World War II veteran. His dad was a professor at Stanford, very, very high educated fella. But he had no, he was a a district manager, but he had nobody under him. It was just him. So uh, after about two, three months in San Francisco, I went back to uh, work as a carpenter. And uh, I went, I looked him up. My wife said, well, that's all you talk about, wherever, wherever, wherever. Why don't you go back and, you know, work with the guy? And so I contacted him, and he says, sure, come on over. So I went down there and explained to him, and, and I says, well, where's the rest of the people? And he had an office in the avenue in his home. He had an office made, and, and uh, he said, I'm the only guy in San Francisco. There's nobody else, just me. So I says, well, let's uh, do some recruiting. And he, he didn't know how to recruit. And so I says, well, We'll run an ad in the paper, just like I answered the ad. So I ran an ad in the paper, and I was uh, just a distributor at the time. And boy, that phone was ringing. It was ringing, ringing off the hook. So I recruited a guy named Bob Farrington. He was the team manager for the San Francisco State baseball team. Mm. He recruited the catcher. And the catcher recruited the pitcher. <laughs> the next thing I knew, I had the whole baseball team. And so they promoted me a dealer because I got all these people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recruiting. Yeah. And dealer in those days was equivalent to like a district manager? No, uh, like a branch manager. Okay. Like a branch manager. So you started uh, building an organization there. You're in San Francisco at this point. I, I'm San Francisco. Um, and what I also got was that, so you were in San Diego with the Navy. That's where you started selling. The Navy transferred you to Guam. You sold on Guam? For no, they wouldn't. I would sell them, but I, I, I couldn't write no orders up, you know. Oh, they, they, they couldn't get the stuff couldn't there? Couldn't deliver it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
So you were you were basically out of the business for a well, year. Well, I was out of the business, but I was still getting uh, overrides. I mean, not overrides, but the commissions I sold in San Diego, and I was still active, like one less, but I couldn't sell. Right, but then so when you came back from Guam, you went straight to San Francisco. San Francisco, got it. And I and I, I went back as a carpenter, and I got my journeyman carpenter. And then um, in nineteen, then you reconnected with this guy that was out there. Yeah, got it. Correct. Cool. In 1957, I actually developed a home ec program for the company. I was calling on, we were calling on single working girls, and this one girl recommended her school teacher. And the school teacher happened to be a girl that I went to grammar school with in Turlock and high school. And she's the head of the home ec department in South San Francisco. Oh. So she says to me after I sold her, she said, why don't you come and make a presentation? They had home ec department, they had, they had cooking classes, they had, you know, right. sewing class, all that. So come over. So they didn't, now, they, later on, they had cards where you filled out when you put on home ec classes, list, list three girls. On the back of the card, you can list the girl that graduated already working. So I didn't have any card like that, but I had the what they call the Cutco Green card, which I still have stacks of them today. So I passed each girl a card. I said, put your name, phone number here, and the date you graduate on it. On the back of it, put down on the back of it, one or two girls, friends of yours, that have already graduated that are working full time. And this is at high school? High school. So these South are 18, 17, 18-year-olds? 16 years old, 15-year-old girl. Well, what happened was... Year after year, I started this 57. By 59, they had seen me three times. Right. So my big brother told me, it's not a matter of selling. I was selling 80% of them. Right. So I told my uh, uh, this other district manager about it. So he joined me. So we every Catholic high school, every public school in the Daly City in South San Francisco. So at the end of the school year, we'd get together, him and I, and we would get a map out. And we say, this girl lives on in the map eight section. This girl lives in B. So we put all the A's in one pile, B one pile, C one pile. This way, in San Francisco, one call might be here in Daly City. One might be in the, I don't know, a different away. area. Different. Yeah. So you couldn't get more than one or two calls. It would be very hard. So by putting them in groups like that, we could do that. So we were very successful. He led the nation, and I was runner-up by calling on these girls and getting more calls in. Okay. So we went to four days a week. We were working four days a week, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'd go hunting, we'd go fishing, we'd go camping. We had it all down pat. So we went to the zone manager, which was Carol Kinsett, and told him that we had planned to move to Modesto and buy a farm. And we had it down four days a week. We could farm three days and do whatever we wanted to. And he says, take these cards you have there. We had three boxes, shoe boxes full, and throw them in a garbage can. It won't work. He said, well, Carol, what do you think? We're number one and number two. He has been working for the last two years. So he said, well, if you do that, we'll demote you. So Al Buckley, was a, he was assistant manager at that time, and I was, a dist I was assistant too. They made me a company employee. You know, it's profit sharing and the, the pay, uh, paid vacations and all that stuff. So Al says, well, I quit. And I said, demote me. So we both moved. 
And within two months, they wanted to promote me again. <laughs> and and he, he never went back. He went to Stockbrook. So uh, in Modesto, I was there from 57. And no, I'm sorry. We got there on December 20th, 1959. And I had one kid that was only one or two months old. And one was a five months old. Two new car payments. Built a new home there, a custom home. No, no job, no wife working, just me. And so, what am I going to do? We had the first class moving van, Mayfire, you know, and the whole thing. And then guys are meeting me there, and here comes successful Roman. And and uh, they discouraged me after about half an hour. I was ready to move back to San Francisco. I said, "What the hell are you doing here? Thirty-six thousand people. No one's going to buy these old farmers. The girls from San Francisco are making a, you know, they were making about two hundred dollars a." A month, my wife's a key punch operator, $200 a month. Here, they're not even making a hundred. And in San Francisco, nobody has a car. The girls, they don't need a car. Here, every girl needs a car. They have enough country. Mm-hmm. So they had me so negative, I wanted to turn around and go back home. <laughs> but the, the van was unloaded and the house was built. And so I said, uh, this was on a, uh, on a Friday night. So I told my wife, you unpack whatever you're going to do. I'm going out there. So the biggest unit apartment house was uh, 20 units, the biggest apartment house there on Tully Road. So I went canvassing. I picked up 37 leads. <laughs> I mean, I can knock on 99 doors and I'll get in 98 of them. You know, that's how positive I am. I, I'm, I'll get in. There's no, no problem. It's not a matter of selling. It's how much am I going to sell? So the first girl I knocked on was a school teacher. My luck. And she knew Mrs. Wood was the head home ec teacher of the Modesto School District. So she connected me with her. So I got in the home ec. That Saturday, I sold two homemakers plus. Boy, was I excited. And that was the beginning of it. I got real successful. I got the house, bought a farm, and was doing good. And then all of a sudden, in 1966, I get a phone call. We're going to get a new zone manager because Carol Kinsett had retired and they brought in a guy named Fullerton. Fullerton was a multi-multi-millionaire. He married to a woman like Langendorf bred her family. So he had thousands of acres of farmland. He didn't care about it and he was getting old and everything. So they brought this guy in named Earl Small. So my manager calls and he says, uh, we're coming to visit you. I said, what for? I said, they're doing a good job. I said, I'm a number two in the, uh, in the, in the zone. I'm part-time, you know, doing it part-time. I went back to carpenter work because I, you know, I said, I'm part-time, I'm number two. And then what do you want to bring out here? I said, why do you want to meet you? So they bring this guy in, Earl Small. And boy, he was a positive guy. And he says to me, Roman, he says, I, they want me to move to the West Coast. Out of 13 districts, you know where we're at. We're the number 13. We're the worst one in the district. We're going out. He says, I'm going to move here in one condition if you move to San Francisco. I said, Earl, my wife's family here, my wife's my family's here. I got a house. I got a farm. I got a place up in Sonora, a cabin there, all paid for. I'm doing real well here. You know, I'm selling $1,000 a week part-time. 
So he says to me, well, you got to move. You got to move. He says, he says, actually, there's three things you got to do. Not only move, he says, you got to, he says, uh, got to put your house up for sale before I leave. And you got to buy a Cadillac. I said, I can't buy a Cadillac. I says, why? He said, because if you drive up with a Cadillac, people say you're making too much money. They ain't going to buy nothing from you. He said, oh, no, 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 no. So before he left, he put the house up for sale. He called a realtor. <laughs> I agreed to him. So I said, now I got to buy a Cadillac. So I said, next time I come down in two weeks, I want a Cadillac. So he came down and I got a Cadillac. Red Cadillac. So you put your house for sale in Modesto. Yep. You get a Cadillac. To I got move a Cadillac because he wanted you to give a certain impression. I had to move to the. I had to move to the Bay Area. You had to move back to San Francisco. San Francisco, and I didn't want to move to San Francisco. And he wanted you to build San Francisco. You had to build San Francisco up. Right. So he comes down, and I got this Cadillac. He said, "Let's go on a sales call." I said, "Okay." So it was at that time we were single working girl. So I go to these one farmhouse boy. There's a Number one farm, I'm gonna tell you, big driveway. I mean, a big farm. So I, whenever we made presentation, the mother had to be there, the father had to be there, all the time. So your target market is young women who Certain are working girls, eighteen, nineteen. If they just, were twenty-two, they were too old. Just getting started. Yeah. And are they buying this? Are their parents buying it for them? They're or? buying it themselves. Yeah, for their hope chest. Right. And the British girl called it upper shelf. That's what's girl in England. They call it upper shelf. Okay. They don't call it hope chest. They call it a hope chest back then, though. Yeah, hope chest. Oh, everybody had the whether the eighth grade. I mean, at the senior in high school, they had to have a hope chest. That's one of their gifts. Everyone had to have a hope chest. Okay. So uh, we drive in the driveway, and the girls, folks, I says, "Where's your father, mother?" Says, "Oh, they're shopping. They said they were going to be here, but they're not here yet." So I get halfway into my demonstration. They drive up. They got a big Cadillac. And they look at me and they look at Earl and they say, whose beautiful red Cadillac is that out there? And Earl doesn't want to say nothing. And I don't want to say nothing. <laughs> and we look at each other for about two minutes. And if Earl finally points fingers, that's his, that's it. Oh, you guys make a lot of money. I missed that sale. Yeah, because that's Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I missed that sale. So anyway, it took one year to sell that house. And I sold it for $10,000 or less than I had it built. Then I moved to here. And the house payment in Modesto was $101. That included tax, lice, insurance, and the payment, you know, of the GI. Came down here. I I could have bought a home in Menlo Park in that area there for $35,000, $40,000, just one acre, beautiful lots. My salespeople that were living here convinced me that the area that I bought was the best one. So the house was thirty-seven five, and I told the guy, I can't afford thirty-seven five. I don't think I can afford that. I mean, that's not cotton taxes and insurance. He said, you can afford two of them. You know, I looked at your resume. I should have bought two. You know? uh, is this the house in San Jose that you guys <laughs> yeah, live in now? Thirty-seven five. You bought it for thirty-seven thousand five hundred. Yeah. When? Uh, Nineteen sixty-seven. Wow. Thirty-seven five. Wow. It's be ridiculous, but it was a good move. You know, it was a good move for us and. Kids all went to high school here, college here, graduated, and they're all multimillionaires. The kids, they're all well established. One is going three, to, three kids, right? Three boys, yeah. Two of them. One of them is retired. Uh, the other one's going to retire this coming year. He's building a big house in the Arrow Creek in, in Reno. He's going to move there too. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, uh, it, it just made sense, you know. I had 99 weeks going, $1,000 in Modesto. 
And now I had come up here, though, and put on home ec classes. And I gave the cards, you know, the leads to my dealer. I had two dealers here. Yeah. Already when I was in Modesto, I used to come here once every month and have a meeting. So I said to the guys, give me a few of those cards. And they gave me all the junky ones. They had noted that, you know, there's not home, not working yet. So I, first call was in, in um, Santa Clara. So I go down there and she's, hi, Mr. Malik. Well, that made me feel really good because I know I had her soul. So I sold my 100th week in girl in Santa, in Agnew. And actually, it was an Agnew, Cal, you know, this town yeah. of Agnew. Yeah. So I sold that one. And then and I went on the 113th, uh, it was actually about 108 weeks, we had a meeting in Apple Valley, California. And the national sales manager was there, and he presented me with prospectus, the leather one, real good, $1,000 in my name, and so forth. And the guy says, uh, Miss Roman, you can't quit. You got to, it won't look good quitting, you know, at 110 or whatever. So I went three more weeks. And then they called me to Chillicothe, Ohio. Chillicothe, Ohio, Ohio, yeah. And uh, to interview me for a a division manager. And John Odgan was a national sales manager, and he drove us back to the airport on the way home. And he said, Roman, can I give you some advice? I said, sure. He said, number one, start another $1,000 week. Number two, start a pilot group. I said, why a pilot group? He said that you use yourself as an example. Like if your things are going good with you, they can't tell your recruit isn't good, sales are down, and so forth and so forth. So I always had a pilot group, and I and I always had my personal sales because I figured I had I had three incomes. I had my personal, I had my pilot, and I had my division. Yeah. So I couldn't go wrong. So I started, and I went about sixty some more. Yeah, the streak you had, I mean, I've heard you talk about it before, 113 weeks yeah. in a row, over $1,000 in yeah. sales. Then there was a week off, and yeah. then 69 more yeah. weeks in a row, over $1,000 yeah. in sales. Then I, then I didn't report no more. So that's like three and a half years yeah. of selling at least $1,000. A week. Um, way back when prices were like one-eighth of what they are now, or something along those lines. I, I think, I, I, God, I mean, there were 140, I can remember that $144 was a homemaker. Homemaker Plus, and then there's always a kitchen tool set and a hunting knife. We thought that was always, I, mean, I don't know why in San Francisco, honey, and I have no one goes hunting here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in Modesto, people yeah, would hunt, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget, I sold a national scuba driver and uh, in the Bay Area here, and she gave me, I gave her a hunting knife, and she gave me a bunch of abalones, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. So... Somewhere along these lines, wherever and Cutco merged together. Correct. Right? Correct. What, Earl Small was your wherever manager. Like manager. Zone manager yeah. Al Laws was the guy who was running the Cutco organization. Correct. correct. Back at that time. Don there. Mulrath worked for Al Laws. Al Laws, correct. Right. And so when Cutco and where and wherever had Merge. this merger, Earl became the zone manager for Northern California. Yeah. And Al was sort of like his assistant. Right, right. And then what happened was they broke the territory up. They told Don Mulrath, anyone across the bridge, Golden Gate Bridge, that's his people. Anyone on this side is my people. So I had people, Sacramento, I had people, San Rafael. He had people in San Jose. 
So eventually Don Mulrath became the division manager for what is now considered our NorCal division or mostly yeah, our NorCal yeah, division. Right, and right. you were the division manager for right. what is now the Bay Area right, division. Right, right. Bay Area. It started from San Francisco, went all the way to uh, Bakersfield. Okay. Wow. That was pretty big. We started from number zero to number one, 10 years straight. And our first award was Earl took us all to Niagara Falls, you know, to the factory and so forth. And it was really great. It was really great being number one, believe me. It was exciting meetings, you know, from Vegas. To, you know, we used to go on this boat, the uh, Hornblower or something in the bay, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, Oregon, Ashland, Oregon trips to Ashland and France, you know. And it, it was just exciting. The merger was really, really great. It brought, it brought out the 10 best managers. Yeah. And uh, uh, th- those were the good old days. And, and then in 1980, they called emergency meeting to Chicago. And it was, what the heck is going on? It's just an emergency meeting. There were three big shots from Alcoa were there. And they got up and he and hawing around and they said, well, every one of you guys give away a cookbook. When we sold a customer, we gave away the cookbook. Right. And we'd sign it and we'd say, one of these days when I become president, you'll look and say, gee, this guy was a salesman. He sold me Cutco back in the so-and-so years ago. Yeah. So, so here's your chances to become presidents. What the heck's going on? So, well, this was October, November, January 1st. There's not going to be no more company. You're not going to have no more cars. No more salaries, no more pensions, and you're on your own. So uh, this is when Alcoa was divesting itself got, got rid of, of us. all of its subsidiaries. We all became owners. All became owners. And then my bookkeeper was in the same building. And he says to me, Roman, I could give you some advice. I said, sure. He says, uh, what you want to do is don't divert too much from what the company structure was. And so I had an office on Hamilton Avenue and... I rented another room and I brought my son in. I brought my wife in and they were my right-hand people. One office was my warehouse and I had my son write a newsletter every week. And the only thing I charged him was for the, you know, for the stamps, nothing. I set up division meetings, like zone meetings. I set up conferences and we had companies official move around. And so we got it going real, real good. And so we had a meeting in Catalina Island. And after the meeting was over, they had the top manager, the owners were there. Eric Lane, the president, invited me to his room. He wanted to talk to me. And he said, what are you any suggestion what we could do to get this company going even better than it is? And I said to him, well, I'll be honest with you. I said, I'm getting old. And all these managers are getting old. What I would do is I would start my own group there in home office. So he did. And so that, that guy named Don Frieda, which was the top division owner, he was, uh, he was the first one to go. The, the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Don Mulrath went, and then one by one, they started going, and and so I was the last one, and so he says to me, how about if we make you a national for the cookware company? It will give you a salary, and we'll pay for your 800 phone number, and, and people were calling me from Canada, because these guys didn't have no training in the cookware, and I had all the training, so I, I saved a lot of orders for the company. The people... Customers would call me. They'd have the customer call me. So I, so he said, just for do it for one or two years. That went on twenty years. 
Yeah, I remember years. I remember you were in that role when I started. Yeah. So this is again, this is when Alcoa decided it was going to divest itself of wherever and Cutco. Yeah. It was selling off its parts, basically. And everybody became independent at that point. So you were no longer an employee of Alcoa. You had your own company. It was Golden Gate Specialty. Yeah. Right? Yep. It was your company. You guys had did you guys have to buy Cutco from the Cutco factory and then in like inventory it? here in California. Correct. Right. And then right. when people placed orders, you would ship from right. here. Yeah. Well, it was no shipping either. It was all delivery. That's a beautiful thing. It was sold today. And what happened was this. We had uh, uh, General Electric was doing our financing for us at the beginning. And after six months, they dropped out. They dropped 50% of the, manage, the company owner. And my, my delinquency was 1.2. It was the best in the nation. And they'd get bonuses with the company years ago. If you had delinquency, it was below a certain line. So I used to make pretty good money on, on that. So yeah. the ones that they would reject was were very few. I financed it. So Ron and I, within about a year and a half, we had over a hundred and some thousand dollars in our bank just doing our own financing. Because we charged 18%. That's what they were charging, 18% financing <laughs> charges. That's what it was. General wow. So you started financing orders oh, yeah. with uh, Norman and I wow. had one account, and then Ron and I had one account. And so we did all, I mean, you know, financing was good. And the thing is, we accepted the order today, it went out next day. And the guys love that. Boy, they get paid real fast. Yeah. So they so we used to order 50,075. Semi used to come with four or five pellets loads. Right. Of, You'd order the stuff directly from directly, the Napoleon. Yeah. It was delivered out here. And then yeah. you're responsible for selling it. Everything. At that point. Everything. Yeah. And I still got some stuff left. Do you want to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do now. I haven't had a sale in three months. <laughs> That's funny, Roman. And so that went on for a while. And then, as you said, you discussed with Eric Lane how the company should be built. And Eric pushed all the chips in on Don Frieda and Vector Marketing, which was around the Philadelphia area at that time. Philadelphia. That started growing. They were creating a scalable program recruiting college students. So it was different than what you guys were doing. And that became the way. Yeah. And then Cutco decided to buy all of the independent distributors one by one, one by one, unite them under Don Frieda. So Mulerath was the first one, the big one they bought out here in the West, which right. was the, the biggest one in the West. Right. And then you came, you came along a little bit later. Yeah. And I, I was the last one. I, I, I didn't know I, because I wanted to retire. I wouldn't, you know, I wanted to get out of it. I had it enough. Yeah. But, uh, um, you wanted to retire 40 years ago? Yeah. But <laughs> so it sounds like you had a lot of different responsibilities and plates you were spinning, running the company and your, your own company and handling all the different things that you had to handle. It wasn't as simple as it is for a salesperson today. No, no. And you were able no, to do all that. No, you handled no. recruiting, you did selling, you led other managers, just all these things happening all at once during all those years. Right, 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 right. Wow, that's pretty cool. What would you say uh, to the reps and managers of Cutco Vector now, if you wanted to share some well, advice for It's them. advice my, uh, my dad used to give me. He said, you know, Roman, everyone wants to be their own boss. Everyone wants to go in business. But in order to go in business, you got to have capital. And you got to have experience. And he said, if you do what you you have to have a shipping department. You have to have a bookkeeping. You have to have finances. He said, look, all that you do, you talk for one hour, and you send this order in, and the company checks it out, ships it out, pays you. 
And then you go hire a bunch of people. And what do you do? You run them through a three-day training class, you're out in the field for a couple hours, and you're through. And you have a meeting once a month. And that company takes their order, processes, ships it, and pays you. You got no inventory, you got no headaches and no rent to pay, no nothing, you know. So that was that made sense to me. In business for yourself, you mm-hmm. know, and no investment. You had nothing to lose. You can't go gang- bankrupt. Right. If you lose recruits, you get some more new distributors. You know? Yeah. So that that made sense to me, just to stick with it. And, of course, I had three things going for me. I had the best product in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the guy would say, well, hell, how do you feel if you went to the home, you know, years ago, we'd go in there and we'd make visual demonstration. In order to sell, you have to appeal to the five senses, right? Smelling, hearing, tasting, you know. And, and with, the, with the cookware, we appealed to all five of them. They felt the pot. They smelt the cookie. They tasted it, you know. Yeah. They heard about it. Cutco, we only had three. But when you cut that rope, let's count the rope. How many strokes are you going to do it with your knife? One, two, three, 45, 60, and it's still halfway through. <laughs> and then you give him your knife, and he goes, now press hard. I see your knuckles are white. Don't cheat with mine. You know, make sure you press hard. And boom, one damn stroke. How would you feel if it was the other way around? Your damn knife took 65, and theirs took one. <laughs> you know, so I, I used to say, when you can make a sales call, it's a 50-50 chance. You think I buy or not, right? Well, the mere fact that I have training how to make them say yes, that gives me 10 points. They got four, 10 less. They got 40, 60. Okay? They don't go no drill for skill classes. They have no training. They don't go no seminars. They don't read no books on selling and how to make think positive. I, I have all that experience. And then, of course, when it was nice, cut like hell. So it's a, it's a 70% chance. I, when I went to the home, I felt that I was going to sell them. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I was going to sell them. It's just I didn't know how much I was going to sell. Mm-hmm. I learned a lesson from my first boss, Clear Allison. He said, be honest, be sincere, and be pleasantly persistent. He said, smile and never ask questions where you're going to get a no answer. For instance, he'd say, if you got, you could answer, if you got your Cutco set, would you use it right? Well, the answer could be, Yes, no, maybe, I don't know. But if you ask the questions, you say, when you get your set and nod your head, you're going to use it right, aren't you? People ain't going to say, no, I don't know. Say, yeah, you know, see, you're moving your head. Everyone does it. So he, he always be persistent. He said, never take the first no. Uh, he said, until they say no 10 times, don't believe them. Because people change their mind. And as a salesperson, you're supposed to sell them the benefits and let them think they're getting the longest end of the stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so those are lessons I learned. And I'll, and and if it means losing the sale by lying, you know, by not telling the truth, lose the damn sale. But you got to be honest with the people. Mm-hmm. And with Cutco, you can't help but being honest because everything you tell them works. Right. Exactly. Everything, everything works. And you got the best damn copy. This company has never cheated you. Never cheated you. They're honored what they what they say they mean they do it, and the people I work with I've learned with every damn manager I've learned from. I remember one way we used to do, put on home as demonstration. We used to cook a big cake, ten inch frying pan, 
And then we used to make applesauce. We used to buy a dozen apples and run them to a colander and it'd come out beautiful red. And my second boss says to me, Roman, you give them so damn much food, you're bloating them. And when people are bloated, they don't want no more food. Give them a little base sample. Use one apple instead of a dozen. Use an eight-inch frying pan instead of a 10-inch. Faster, less time to clean it, everything else. So I learned from him, you know. And, and I think one of the things that really, really, really helped me was reading this book. That's what changed my life, The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. Swartz. That changed my life overnight. Wow. Dr. Schwartz said, we only have eight hours a day. And you can only make so many calls in eight hours. And he said, if you learn, to dub, the only way you're going to double your income is double your calls. And in them days, it was mostly canvassing, knocking on doors. And, and real estate people still do it now. They, they come by my house all the time, listen. And, and we worked a lot of apartment houses. And he said, say, knock on the door loud. Like a, he, said, he says, uh, that's how your friends knock. Salesman knocks, you know, real like he's scared, you know. <laughs> and he says, the way you test yourself, if you're working fast enough, he says, when you knock loud, he says, count to 12 and move on. And he says, and if doors are not opening behind you, that means you're walk, walking too slow. So I'd knock on doors sometime and then go walk, knock on that door and go 12, sometimes be two, two or three doors. And I say, hey, I'll be right with you, you know. And so, I, I, John Kalfa developed a, a slogan years ago in Chicago. He was always number one salesman. Mercedes Dunn was another one. And he said, is the price too high to pay to work each and every day? That was his slogan. Price, please. Yeah. When he was 18, he was driving a Cadillac. I developed a slogan, two before two. Mm -hmm. Most of our salesmen used to quit because they had nothing to do during the daytime. So they'd wait till 6.37 to make evening calls. And the wife said, go get yourself a full-time job, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to make it a full-time job. And so I says, look, there has to be some people home. Beauty operators were off on Monday. Barbers were off on Monday. Dental technicians were off on Tuesdays. So I made sure that I found out who was what and who, where they worked and what time they got off of work and so forth. Nurses worked three shifts. Telephone operators worked three shifts. So the girls I could see in the daytime, I wouldn't see at nighttime. Right. So the first day in Modesto, I said, I'm going to try my program. So I went down there in the Manteca. And I got this girl that was about 22, 23. She was sickly. She had to have so much sickly. She was not too sick to be sitting home, but she wanted to take her sick leave. So I sold her, a homemaker. Next call, uh, that was about 11 in the morning. Next call was about 12, 1230. I go to these people's home, this young couple. He's home from lunch. He's a construction worker. Halfway through my demonstration, a Rolls Royce pulls in. His mother, big time contractor. <laughs> and she was, she talked like a sailor. I mean, she was cussing away. I won't say what she said. She said she had whatever for years and years. Her son was getting old. And she said, her son, here's a deposit for you. And here's a deposit for me. And my other son, here's his name and address. Here's the deposit for him. And you go down there and say, I already made the deposit. Just sign the order. So I had a $1,000 day before, by 130. So I said, by God, 
I cut polypostal then. I was calling on dental technicians and nurses and telephone operators and, and so forth. And so I found out by only making eight calls a week, I can make it to 15, 16 calls a week. So I doubled my sales. Mm-hmm. And my goal was 32 sales a month. And I, and I had always, this company always has contests, always contests. And I always had a contest among myself, always had a contest. And of course, I, when there was contests on with the company, I would let the customer know they were going to help me win the contest, you know. Cool, cool. Yeah. Great stuff, great stuff, Roman. So you, you and Norma have been married for 67 years? 67 years. It'll be 68 and it's coming February. Right. I'd love to hear some of the secrets to your personal success, man. Why don't you start with uh, being married for so long? How's that work out? Well, it's, it's like this. When I graduated eighth grade, the high school, the grammar school teacher used to take us eighth grade class, graduating class at Yosemite. So I never met her husband before. Never had. He was a grammar school. He was in the bus with us. So he says to us, let me give you some advice, you kids. He says, you know, when you go to grammar school, you're a little bitty kid, you know, nobody. Then you work yourself up into seventh grade. Then you, you know, get the big shot, eighth grade, and you graduate. And what happened? You go to high school. And you're a little guy. A little shot again. Yeah, yeah. Little guy again. And then you get to be sophomore. Well, you get a little more common sense and you're feeling good and then and then as you're a junior you know now you're a mighty senior and you made it then what happens you graduate you know and you get married and, and says then you become a small shop the rest of your life <laughs> so so i think the best way to get along is not to not to argue i mean this takes two to argue right yeah so when 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 they get hot and under the collar just don't say nothing it took me a long time to learn that, though. <laughs> 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 60 years. <laughs> but it's been good. Norma's been my partner. I made the money. She managed it. Mm-hmm. Even today, you know, she does it. She takes care of 14 bo- sets of books. I trusted her 100%. I mean, she was the manager of, of the kids. She managed the kids when I was away, most, with most of the time, you know, and uh, uh, gave her free reign. She knows what the finances are. She knows what the insurances are. She knows what, who moved in when and so forth and so forth. So you ran the, I ran the, the business. Cutco business, but yep. she ran the Malik business. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's a big responsibility. Of course. Yeah. And then what about health-wise, Roman? You're, uh, you look like you're well, 70 years old. Yeah, well. And uh, you're, you're doing well. I've so. had it all. I had a four-way bypass. I had gallbladder taken out. Or I had a. Not a pacemaker, but a heart valve put in about eight months ago. And I've t- you name it, I take it. But, you know, I'm still in good health. I work at, in my shop just to, just about every day. I build things. I, I just built, uh, I built three humidors for my sons. I built uh, a chest for them. I built two chests my sons wanted to buy. They were $3,200 a piece. I built two of those for them. They're $200 for material. You name it, I build it. Yeah. Yeah. So you stay active. I stay active. Really. Doing the things that uh, yeah, you really enjoy. Yeah. I'm always thinking of, of the future, what I'm going to build, what I'm going to do, uh, where I'm going to go. And I think mindset makes a big difference in health, too, because you're just such a positive guy, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm like Jerry Otteson. Jerry Otteson, say, I'm so positive even when I say no, I mean maybe. <laughs> you know? But uh, uh, you got to stay positive. What For are you sure. going to do? I mean, there's one, one life to live <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some people are just negative. 
And, and you've also done well financially. I remember this was something you used to teach us when I was a, a young Cutco rep. You used to come in and give financial talks and talk about saving and investing. One time when I asked you, you said you owned 11 properties. You, you just told me earlier that now it's 13. Mm-hmm. You own 13 homes 13 in homes. California, Hawaii, and Nevada, right? Correct. I mean, I don't know what that's worth, Roman, but... 13 homes in California, Hawaii, and Nevada has got to be $20 million of properties at least. I don't even know. I don't even know. (laughs) It it probably keeps going up and down. But my dad taught me uh, years and years ago. uh, He was a painter. He was a wallpaper hanger. He was a farmer. He had cows. (laughs) You know, he had dairy. He was a foreman, like I said, for Sprecher Company. He came here when he was 16 years old. He was well to do. He was very well to do. But my dad used to say, if you save pennies, it's going to take a long time, but save dimes and pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. Most people pay PG&E, telephone company, the landlord, the car payments, and, and then they said they're going to save. Got to pay yourself first. You know, during World War II, they used to say when guys used to join the services and they used to go in combat and their best friend they went to grammar school, high school with, used to die, got killed. And they used to cry over him and everything else. But in the end, they say, thank God it wasn't me. So you are the most important person in the world. My old boss, Warren Manhart, used to say that when he used to get the commission, in his days, he said it was $10, $11, you know, $9. He said he used to go to bank once or twice a day. And his wife, that's how he met his wife. She says, Warren, how come you come here with nine, $10? He said, because I made a sale for $90, and I got to pay myself first. So I'm going to pay, before I pay anybody else, I'm going to pay myself first. And then you work your budget according to that. Mm -hmm. When we used to sell years ago, we used to take a sheet, and we used to sell to the girls. Now, I don't know if you could really afford this or not, so let's see. On one side of the sheet, we used to say, what is your take-home pay? And then on the other side of the sheet, we used to say, what are your expenses? And let's add them up. And 99 out of a 10 time, she would even would not put saving there. And he added up and discretionary spending and didn't know where the money was going. Mm-hmm. So if you pay yourself first, at least you could blow anything you want because shoes become outdated, good times become memories. And in the end, it's what you got left. Yeah, exactly. And that's the principle that I've you know, heard from both you and Dom Mulrath from an early age. And I got in that habit of making sure that I always saved something first off the top. And like you said, who cares how you spend the rest? Yeah. Right. I've had yeah. a lot of nice things yeah. and, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but yeah. saving first yeah. Yeah. makes all the difference. And Dan, you're probably like me. I love to buy things. You, you like to buy things. Sure. I've owned over 50 some cars, brand new. <laughs> I only bought one used car, 50 some car. But I was, one year I bought three new cars. But I buy homes, I buy cars, and I got, you know, I like to buy things. That's what money's for. But if you pay yourself first, you know, you're saying, and also, you got to have three different saving accounts. You got to have one that you never, ever, ever, ever touch. And then you got to have one that you emergency fund, emergency come up. And then you have one where you pay your bills all the time. So you have to have, of course, I've got more than three accounts. You got to have a lot of accounts. Yeah. Got to have one, but you never, ever touch. Never. That's like your just long-term yeah, yeah. nest egg. And yeah, then and then yeah. you have your emergency yeah, fund, yeah. and then you have your regular right. account. And 
and you got to invest wisely and you got to invest uh, because there's one time this guy that owned a laundromat in San Diego was in the Navy. He used to say, Roman, you got to have money that's working for you when you're sleeping. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you invest in stocks and bonds and property. And when you're sleeping, they're still making money for you. Mm-hmm. So you have somebody working for you. If you work by yourself, you're two hands, you'll never, you know. And that's why it's, sales is a good line to get into, especially Cutco, because you can hire as many people you want. The company that put no limit on it. Right. And you can advance as much as you want. Yep. Cool. Well, Roman, you're about to celebrate, as we're recording this, your 92nd birthday on right. September 4th. Uh, what keeps you excited at this age? Next project I'm going to build. I would have moved to Reno, but the wife's been statue for so long. But when our second son moves, I think I'll, she'll probably move us. And the third son, he's going to probably retire in a couple more years, too. So, gosh, I don't know what to say on that. Uh, I'm just excited to, to be living. You know? Yeah. <laughs> to be breathing. Yeah. And getting ready to move to Reno? That's, uh, well, in, maybe, in in the the year, maybe in a year from now. But the house is... You know, after you've been there 50-some years, your attic is full and the garage is full. I st- Dan, I still got a whole, you know, rope. You used to buy rope by the, by the spindle. You know, this great big. I still got one of those and nobody cuts rope no more, they say. So I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with that rope, you know? Huh? Roman, you can pay somebody to come clear all that stuff out, man. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with all that stuff. I, everything. <laughs> I mean, I I got boxes of pennies that I've cut up. You know? We'll call a bunch of young cuckoo people to come check everything out, and they'll oh. uh, they'll get rid of a lot of this, a lot of the small oh stuff. I got in there. I got about ten thousand dollars worth of st- stainless flatware that's outdated. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. You're probably collecting the same thing, huh? I I got some collections for sure. Well, yeah. you see all the beautiful trophies you got. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember you getting all those swords, you know, years ago. Hell, you have enough to start an army. <laughs> tell you. Probably do. Well, yeah. I, Roman, I, I credit, uh, you know, a, a good piece of it to the things I got to learn from you. I was lucky to come into this business with Filippo Mancini. And of course, Don Mulrath was here. Bruce Goodman was here. You were always a big part of uh, of all the things that we did in those early days. And I can yep. still remember you coming to meetings and right. sharing your tips, whether it was sales tips or money tips. Uh, those were the things that you were teaching us all the time. And as a young kid in the vector business, Cutco business, I, I really respected all the stuff that you had to say and learned a lot from you along the way. So it's been uh, it's been well, really great. Well, I worked with great people, people like you and Mio Rath and and all these managers and Filippo was a hell of a gung ho guy. Yeah, I'm for telling sure. you, he turned the zone around. I mean, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, he did. Some good he people. did some great stuff. Exactly. So, well, Roman, it's been uh, really fun hearing your stories and lessons today. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, maybe some people will get something out of it. But the most important thing is be persistent. As long as you smile, you can do anything you, anything you want. Yeah. Be honest, be pleasant, and be pleasantly persistent. And save. Yep. Because it doesn't matter how much you earn, it's what's left over. Yep. Great. Great lessons, Roman. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. There you have it, everyone. One of the all-time great Roman Malik. 
He said the line between success and failure is so thin, you don't even see it. I often think about that line when I think of the seemingly small decisions that we all make all the time. And it's a great reminder of the importance of how the right decisions, a lot of them over a long period of time, accumulate into a great career and a great life. Decisions like taking on challenges, as Roman did several times in his career, persistence, which he noted as the most important attribute, honesty, which is easy when you represent a product as good as Cutco, and the importance of good financial habits. I want to acknowledge Roman's wife, Norma, who couldn't be with us on the day we recorded as she wasn't feeling well. And normally, like Roman, she's as vibrant and energetic in her late 80s, almost 90 years old now. Norma ran the Malik business and provided an environment that enabled Roman to thrive. Together, they have been amazing role models for me. I'm grateful to have been able to share this conversation with you all here today. Please reach out on social media and let me know what you thought of this one. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 